Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 81 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Nika Quistgard. I've had Nika on the show before. She was with me in episode 17, which is an episode all about calming the vata dosha. And if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. It's it's a helpful episode to listen to in tandem with this one because there's a lot of overlap. Nika is an Ayurvedic practitioner, consultant, and founder of Ayurmama.com. Nika was also the founder and director of Rasa Ayurveda Traditional Healing Center for Women in Kerala, India. Today we talk about ojas or vital essence and you know, this is part of the holiday series. And so it's in the spirit of how to stay nourished and to keep your vital essence nourished and strong during this season, the holidays and the winter, which can be really, really depleting to your system. So Nika has so many great little tidbits of advice. And she also just gives a great, um, very great visual uh kinesthetic definition of ojas that helped me a lot. I also got to ask Nika about milk. (laughs) It was a slight tangent, but you know, I've always been curious whenever I've read about Ayurveda and edited Ayurveda stories that milk products, dairy products are, are recommended at times for certain situations. And you know, that's something that we kind of have moved away from quite a bit in the US and in part I understand it more when it's from an intolerance, like a a food intolerance, or if it's an issue of not wanting to consume any animal products. But it seems like even for people who don't have those two particular issues in mind, milk is just kind of like out of style. So I wanted to ask her, why is it considered, you know, a nutritive food in Ayurveda? And she talked to me about that was really interesting. And then before we get to the interview, I also just want to let you know that Nika has created a take your energy inventory assessment, and I will put a link to that on the show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 81. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, have a tool for looking at this. One of the things that I think is great about this episode and about an assessment tool like this is it's really a reminder. And, and it's really what yoga overall does for me is it just reminds me to stop and pause and take stock of things and then make adjustments in my practice and in my eating to bring myself back into balance. So that's what this episode is all about. Hope you enjoy it. So you have written for Yoga Journal about an Ayurvedic approach to staying a little more balanced during the holidays. And I think also during winter, but that's a question I have. And that is by focusing on ojas. So can you talk about what ojas is and why it's so important? Yes, ojas is one of my favorite things to think about and to cultivate. And really, when you look at Ayurveda, almost everything that's discussed or that's suggested in all of Ayurveda is really about ojas. Ojas is kind of the end result of everything we do to correct and to maintain our health and beyond our physical health, even our mental, emotional health. So OGIS has many definitions Mm -hmm. and it's kind of poetic in one way, but in the most practical sort of tangible way, OGIS is described actually as a liquid. It's described as a yellowish white, milky, sweet, sort of slightly sticky liquid. Hmm. And there are two types of ojas, it's said in Ayurveda. One is the supreme ojas, and that is found only in the heart. Nine drops of ojas, it's called para ojas, supreme ojas. And so that's there from birth, and we inherit that from our mom. Mm -hmm. And then there's the rest of ojas, which is what we're more concerned with generally, because it's the apara ojas, or just the regular ojas, not supreme, but the regular circulating ojas with which moves through all of our tissues, you know, moves through all of our channels to stabilize and nurture all of our tissues and to create stability and contentment and immunity all throughout every level of our system. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting thing. And OGIS is also synonymous with some things that at first might seem unrelated, but are all considered the same thing in Ayurveda. And this is where it starts feeling a little more poetic. 
ojas is what allows us to feel contentment. Ojas is our contentment. Hmm. Ojas is our immunity because ojas is our stability in our self and what allows every part of us to recognize what is myself and what is not myself. So it actually sounds to me like there's a lot of crossover with, and I know these are kind of different things, but there's a lot of crossover with the kapha dosha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ojas is considered to be a subtle manifestation of the kapha dosha. Okay. 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 Yes, that's correct. Okay. And I, I know we're going to get into prana and tejas later, but... We can talk about it whenever yeah. you like. <laughs> okay. So... I guess when I think of prana, it's very, I don't know, I guess because we, we talk about it so much in yoga and, you know, there's also the crossover with chi and the Chinese medicine system. It's very easy for me to kind of imagine it. You know, it feels like vitality and it feels like an energy and, it, and you know, obviously it's the life force flowing through you. How is ojas different from prana? The way I like to describe it is that Prana is like the money that you're spending, and ojas is like the money in the bank. Prana is the moving vital energy. It is life force in movement. Mm -hmm. And ojas is your deeper store of vitality. Okay, okay. Does that make sense? That's why it, it lends stability. That's why it regulates your immunity. That's why it's it's an extra. If you have enough prana to take your next in-breath, get a little prana from the environment, move all of our movements in yoga. We're mostly expressing prana. We're, we're moving prana around. And there are five different ways that we can do that. But ojas is a stable substance. It's actually considered a substance. And prana is not a substance. Prana is very light, subtle, dry, mobile. Uh-huh. And ojas is something that has a little weight, moisture, it can accumulate, and it's that deeper supply. So when you think about contentment, and most people have forgotten completely what that even is, yeah. <laughs> but the deeper piece that comes not from, let's say, a mental understanding, but from that kind of physical resonance of, hmm, of just being, that comes from having ojas. That calm you have when there's money in the bank, mm. right? That's more like the ojas feeling. Whereas the excitement of getting money in and spending it and budgeting it and assigning where it's going to go and all that, that's more like prana in motion. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so it's more that ample, the ample feeling of having more tucked away. And that is actually what gives the stability for prana to be regular for prana to do what it should do and not kind of go wacky and crazy on us and cause additional problems when we might already have some. Right. right. Is, is more like the roots and prana is more like the branches reaching in all directions. Oh, that's helpful. So I want to back up for just a moment. So you said it's an actual substance. So it's, is it not considered a subtle body energy? And if it's a substance, is there an equivalent in like the Western mindset of what it is? Yeah, there is talk about what it is as far as measurable through like blood test results. Some Ayurvedic physicians say that it's compared to the modern measurable substance of albumin or albumin and globulin. Okay. These particular proteins, but that's a little bit abstract and not exactly, you know, how we would translate it in Ayurveda. In fact, the classics, I'm actually looking at a couple of definitions out of the classics that say the white yellowish fluid that lodges in the heart is called ojas, the refined essence of all tissues of the body. Hmm. Owing to its loss, losing it from the heart center, that para ojas, a person dies. So the idea is that with all the circulating ojas, if that is expended or lost somehow, then the body starts wanting to take from those last eight drops in the heart, which are protected. And Mm. when that happens, that's the end of your immunity, sense of self, and certainly your contentment. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's kind of the, the little seed of motivation for keeping your ojas, your circulating ojas well nourished. 
Exactly. Here's another description from the Charak, one of the fundamental texts of Ayurveda. Ojas, and then in parentheses, vital essence. So instead of vital energy, Mm. it's more like vital essence. Is the first thing created in the body of all living beings. Its color is like ghee. It tastes like honey and smells like roasted puffed rice. (laughs) 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 It has this kind of, you know, grounding quality to it that smells like something freshly roasted, like probably smells like fresh basmati rice with Uh ghee on it. You know, that kind of, mm, it really feels so good. It's almost nutritious just to smell that smell. And so that's how Ojas is described. So it's very hard to just define it. Right. (laughs) Right. But I know, I mean, I feel like you did though. Like I have a much better understanding because I worked on a lot of different Ayurveda pieces from over the years at Yoga Journal. And it's one that's been hard for me to really grasp in the way that it's been described before. So this is helpful so far. So you said we are born with the, is it, did you say nine drops in the heart or eight drops in the heart? I think it's eight. Okay. But then in terms of if we deplete our circulating ojas, how can we create more or can we rebuild it? Yes. That's really the whole thrust of Ayurveda. If you had to boil Ayurveda's goal down to one thing, it's that. Wow. Okay. Good. I'm glad I picked this topic then. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big reason why we focus so much on digestion in Ayurveda, because in taking actual substance, you know, foods, and properly processing and assimilating not only the prana, but also, you know, all the other substances that we need, is what results eventually through a many-step digestion and metabolic process in nourishing our plasma, our blood, our muscles, our bones. Oh, I forgot our fat, our bones, our nervous tissue, our reproductive organs and fluids. And finally, through this extended process, we end up with, at the very end, our ojas. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we're taking this back to the context of kind of the season we're in right now, yeah. how does a person know if their ojas is, is low or kind of balanced where it should be? And then what can they do to correct an imbalance? Yeah, that's always a really good question. I mean, that's probably an essential question we can be asking ourselves. How is our essential energy or our essence? How is that doing? Mm-hmm. Because also in Ayurveda, the word for health or svashta in Sanskrit also means to be established in the self. And you can see by my description of ojas how that is also a manifestation of that stability, right? So if we're feeling really subject to emotional vicissitudes, mm-hmm. if we're feeling hypersensitive to situations and sensory stimuli, sights, sounds, etc. If we're feeling defensive, if we're feeling fearful, anxious, mm-hmm. if there's a lot of erratic activity in our normal functions, you know, if our eyes are fluttering, our muscles are twitching, our digestion is not calm, we're not able to live according to a rhythmic schedule. That's all a sign that Oja says either low or definitely in the process of being affected and being lowered. So some of the things that you qualities that you described are really very natural manifestations of the Vata dosha. So my daughter is just like extremely Vata. She's just, (laughs) she's like the uber Vata. So would, with the way that she has, you know, her constitution is in this early time of childhood, like, can you make the correlation that someone who is heavily Vata like struggles more with maintaining Ojas? You can, you can, you know, because in Ayurveda, Ayurveda, you know, it's not an abstract science. It's really an observation of how life systems work, of how Mm -hmm. life system works in a body, body, mind, family, society, in a business. I'm actually consulting lately to a low OGIS business to turn things around. Hmm. And this is a model that I'm using. So when someone or any other entity, a person or any kind of life system 
has by nature these qualities of sort of erratic, dry, light, super enthusiastic, but not very stable. They're not bad qualities. It's just that they need more stability in order to have stability. Mm -hmm. They need more nourishment in order to be nourished. And you need more strategy to make sure that that digestive process, which is going to yield the ojas, is really tended to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then... Are the things that deplete the vata dosha or kind of send the vata dosha out of whack similar to the things that deplete ojas? Yeah, very similar. Things like trauma, things like overexertion, any kind of disintegration is going to possibly leak or dry up ojas. Any kind of extremely heated condition, it could be fever, it could be anger, it could be excess ambition, excess drive. That that can burn up ojas. So the same kinds of pairs of opposites relationships that Sophia's observing when she plays outside and she sees how a puddle dries up when it's windy or how when she adds water to earth, she can make mud and that has its own qualities, et cetera, et cetera. The qualities that are opposite to the qualities of ojas, whether they're impacting through the senses or through the mind, they can affect it. So if you have plenty of built up circulating ojas, you know, you can afford to go skydiving once in a while. (laughs) But if your digestion is off and you're nervous about your relationship or your finances, or you're working really, really hard and, you know, maxing out your schedule and burning the candle at both ends, it's not a good time to sign up for more excitement, right? Uh Uh-huh. Instead, you want to make sure that you're eating those nutritive foods that will really help rebuild OGIS and that you're also encouraging the kind of digestive and metabolic process that's going to yield that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I feel like I'm getting my questions in my, or things are getting more and more complicated in my head. So I don't mean to overcomplicate it. But before this conversation, I was thinking, okay, if the holidays are kind of depleting to Ojas. Is it also the winter season itself that can be depleting? But it seems like maybe that's not the case. It is. It it actually is the case if you're living in a place where those qualities are piling up. Cold, windy, dark is also a quality of Vata. So if you're living in the Northern Hemisphere or in the very Northern Hemisphere, and you're extremely busy running around in the cold and trying to please all your family members, you know, if if your holidays actually have that frenetic feeling, plus the environment is ramped up with lots of qualities, then yeah. So if you had to create your like deal Ojas holiday, what would it include? You know, just like setting the scene. Well, since we can't go back to Rasa Ayurveda, <laughs> <laughs> then I like what you were asking about Puga, that whole idea of comfort and charm and yes. sort of heart heartwarming. And also the images we have of that are a quiet, close, candlelit, mm-hmm. warm, cozy space with food and friends also of the right type are also nourishing, right? And supportive to our confidence and sense of self. So we want to simplify our holidays, make them less fragmented, less travel and more Huga. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So for people out there listening who haven't heard of Huga, it's spelled H-Y-G-G-E. And I mean, I'm, I'm by no means an expert. I just know that last year there were a whole bunch of books published about it. It's sort of a, a Danish concept. It's, it's really like a Danish approach to life in the wintertime. So it's this concept that, and they are really far North. And so it gets dark very early there. And so it's this concept of instead of seeing the winter as this cold, dark, lonely time, they make sure that they make everything very huga, very, very cozy and comfy. And like you said, candlelit and thick socks and sweaters. And they make sure that, you know, they they get together with people and share the light in that sense. So that's, yeah, I like that. That's a, that's a nice way to imagine things. Now you've got me hoping that when we <laughs> go back to Ohio for Christmas, it snows because a few years ago, well, it's actually several years ago because it was before Sophia was born. We went back for Christmas one year and it snowed like, you know, three feet over four days. And it was so hygge. It was just like, <laughs> so it was so beautiful and cozy. 
snow, even though snow is cold, it's actually quieting and insulating and, and does create, you know, the cozy nests. So more than the light that people are getting together for, although there is that, it's the warmth, mm, right? The, mm-hmm. the warmth of the fire, the warmth of the food, the warmth of the chosen really good company, the trust, the relaxation, the insulation of the warm sweaters and that big, thick blanket of snow on the roof that, you know, cocoons you in at a time of year where Vata qualities are kind of trying to press in on you. Right, right. I mean, it totally explains why Jason and I love just being home and being cozy because we are both also like incredibly Vata dominant. We get really overwhelmed sort of. I mean, even when I... (laughs) I believe I'm saying this in public, but even when I go to children's birthday parties with my daughter, just the socializing and like the kids running around and the amount of activity and the amount of sugar and the amount of, because this is often with like parents who are just from school, right? They're not like good friends of mine. It's just sort of that surface level socializing. I get so depleted after those events (laughs) and I just want to go home and like, get under a blanket and put on thick socks and read a book. Like that's all I want to do. That's what you need. That's what your nervous system needs. You need more insulation when there's more stimulation. And that's partly because of your nature. Mm -hmm. And then partly because of the whole situation. Some of those birthday parties are in air conditioned places Mm -hmm. with electronics flashing. And like you said, a million activities and kids running and shouting and coming unhinged and more sugar. And so it's a natural balance to say, oh, enough of that. Mm-hmm. I need to, I need to halt the stimulation and I have to literally protect myself. Mm-hmm. So one thing I like to do for times like that is take a little square of soft tissue, like Kleenex, maybe a one inch square, and just tap it into my ear canal so that the sound is softened a little bit. All that uh-huh. stimulation is softened. That's our main organ too, perceiving with vata. Well, skin is actually the top organ, huh. but then the ears. So that, yeah, you want your warm winter socks and all those things. And you don't feel like taking your down vest off, right? <laughs> yeah. Keep that little wall of insulation yeah. against all the vibration. But we can protect ourselves a little bit if you're sensitive, like your whole family probably is by adding extra layers sort of over the senses so Mm. that you can be in it without being completely penetrated by it. And then what about, um, I'm just going back to our Huga mm. Ojas holiday. And then what about foods that would nourish Ojas? So with food, the important thing is that the main thing that nourishes Ojas are fairly nutritive foods, things like almonds and ghee and cooked onion and making sure you have plenty of fat and protein depending on whatever your diet is. Mm -hmm. But those things require a better digestion. They require that your digestion is adequate to handle, Mm -hmm. you know, things like nuts take a little more digestion. So you want to balance the nutritive loading that you might be doing with making sure that you're eating when you feel comfortable and not nervous and you can fully digest. You're supporting with a little bit of spice and that kind of thing. If you're doing that, then you can have some things like maybe custard, you know, a warm custard out of the oven. Maybe a lot of people are into bone broth soup these days. Mm -hmm. That can be good. Even just a big pile of deliciously cooked onion, cooked in ghee, that's very ojus rebuilding. As long as you're digesting it properly, because if you're not, you're likely to create more toxicity from improper or inadequate digestion. And that kind of cuts into the OGIS development. Mm-hmm. So thing, of course, real life is always more complicated than just one simple idea. So we want to eat those deeply nutritive things and even maybe take 
deeply nutritive herbs, things like ashwagandha or ginseng, um, adaptogenic herbs often help rebuild ojas. But we want to make sure that we're supporting our digestion or that our digestion is adequate mm-hmm. so that we can handle the, the more rebuilding Rasayan and nutritive type foods and herbs. Mm-hmm. That just also makes me think of beverages. And I can't remember, I actually really rarely drink alcohol, but I'm just curious, like what the view of alcohol would be from an Ayurvedic perspective or, or other beverages too. Well, alcohol, it's called fire water. <laughs> okay. And so, um, but it's a, a flash fire. And so for people with any kind of pitta problems or with any kind of inflammation, you know, it's never a good idea and it is pure sugar, but a little bit of it warming, if it's especially balanced in something like an eggnog where there's some protein Hmm. that could be, you know, and some spice also to facilitate the digestion of the heavier elements, milk and, and or eggs that might be in there. That's actually kind of a nice little tonic. Awesome, because I have never heard anyone recommend eggnog before, and I love eggnog. I've actually well, been trying to figure out go. how to make a you know a homemade sugar-free. I haven't really done it yet, but it's on my list: sugar-free eggnog. Yeah. Oh well, actually, if you bring the milk to a boil, that makes it much more digestible. So before you mix it up, you want to bring the milk to a boil, or if you buy prepackaged eggnog, if that's you know what you have to do. We actually have Rasayana concoctions drinks in Ayurveda that are really simple, um, using things like dates and milk and heating everything up and warring it up. And you could do the same thing with eggnog. It it has everything you need and Mm -hmm. just, you know, cut the alcohol down a little, it could actually facilitate digestion, Mm -hmm. a little bit of alcohol in there. Mm -hmm. As Mm -hmm. long as you're not overdoing it. I know. It's going to be a good Christmas. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be so cozy. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so it's interesting to me too, that in Ayurveda, that milk is considered, I don't know, you know, I feel like in modern society, in sort of modern health circles, milk is so verboten. And obviously, there's a lot of lactose intolerance that makes total sense. But I don't know, it just seems like there is a lot of anti anti milk sentiment. And even again, beyond being being vegan, or, you know, not drinking it for the purposes of the animals. I just feel like there's like this anti-milk sentiment. What remains the view from an Ayurvedic perspective on milk? Why is it helpful? Well, it is mother's milk, right? It is highly nutritive, uh, full of protein, and it is the mother's gift to her child. And of course, in India, there's a whole beyond the actual substance of milk, the poetic feeling about the sacredness of the cow. And that's because it's giving, giving, giving. And so back in the days when Ayurveda was becoming standardized thousands of years ago, there weren't big factory milk production things going on. It was your, it was your own cow who you had a, a relationship with, who you would keep healthy and, and loved and well fed with grass and you know that kind mm-hmm, of thing so mm-hmm. the quality or the source is of course really important and then even how the consumer who the person actually consuming it drinking it feels about it is important there should be that contiguous relationship mm-hmm. the emotional relationship is as important as the substance of what you're putting in your body is always important in ayurveda you should not intake anything that you don't have a wholesome feeling about hmm. So that's part of where we're in conflict about milk now, I think, Mm -hmm. because the original value of it is pretty hard to find now. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people do have a hard time digesting it because we have a lot more vata disturbance, which does tend to mess with our digestion and, and mess with the stability of that agni or that fire in the belly. So it's, it's a denser substance, just digestively. So it's going to take more, it's going to take more to Mm -hmm. process it. Mm -hmm. It has more value. It's like, if you, if you're going to, you know, eat like a piece of cheese or something that's incredibly dense, but it's packed with fat and protein. Whereas if you're going to eat, let's say a little cube of apple or something, it's much easier to process it because it's doesn't have as much to it kind of thing. So milk is wonderful for restoring that deeper vitality. But again, the whole digestive process has to be facilitating it. And mm-hmm. the source, the source 
is part of that. Also, when milk is changed through all the different modern processes, removing fat and all that stuff, the fat is actually part of what makes milk digestible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it all depends. You know, we could have probably a really long conversation about milk, but the original idea is that this mother's milk is highly nutritive. And then there's also the incredibly intimate relationship one would have with their cows. Mm-hmm. And then you're drinking this milk. It's it's a different thing than what we mostly have available today. But if you can digest milk and you're not having any problems with it, then and and you heat it or spice it or both is ideal, especially in the winter time. We can make turmeric milk. We can make you know cinnamon clove cardamom milk, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. Or you can put it in your coffee with those spices that to help really facilitate the through digestion. Then it's not a problem. And if you feel good about the source of it, you're able to get local grass fed, you know, which in many places I know in California, that's pretty widely available. So it really dials down into where is it coming from? How do you feel about it? And are you able to sort support your digestion so you can get you know, the benefit of it? Right, right. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's so helpful. And, and then the benefit, I mean, I will come out with it. I actually do drink milk. I am. <laughs> I, I put it in my coffee. I'm one of the few people I know who I digest it really well. And so does my daughter. Um, and I've actually started putting heavy cream in my coffee. I'm, I'm doing a ketogenic experiment because my, some of my breast cancer medicines have made my blood sugar high. Mm. And I can't believe how grounding the cream is. Yes, you need it. You're such a Vata girl. Oh my God. And you you must have it, really. You must have cream. You must have ghee. As long as you, you know, occasionally take a look at your your lipids numbers, right. your cholesterol right. and stuff. You need it. You need it. It's crazy. I feel so much better overall just having changed my diet to a really a high fat, moderate protein, basically zero carbohydrate except for vegetables diet. It's like I kind of want to like shout it from the rooftops for people because it's obviously so individual, but I just, I never knew that, um, I'm not an extremist kind of a person about anything. So this to me is like kind of an extreme approach, but, um, was really wanting to get things under control without going down a worse path for my health and without having to take more medications. It's incredible. Like it's in terms of the, the way that I feel and energetically and then the way that I feel nourished, not hungry. And then also my blood sugar is so much better. It's, it's crazy. It's so much better. How about your sort of your nerves, like your sleep and that, do you feel better in that way too? Um, you know, late, <laughs> we can, we can talk more about the sleep offline. Cause I am actually having sleep disturbances that I never used to have. Oh yeah. I I'm not quite sure what that's about, but yeah, generally like, because I have the coffee in the morning. So I have a little bit of cream and I don't know. I just, yeah, I feel smoother. That's kind of how I would describe it. Well, you know, our nerves are insulated with fat. Our brain is completely made of fat and we need it. And the old idea, if you look at old Ayurvedic texts and it recommends, you know, having two, two double handfuls of rice for your lunch meal, along with your vegetables and so forth. But people were so physically active. They mm-hmm. needed carbs to burn. You know, they had, they were like little power boats going all day. And we aren't, we, nope. we are not, you know, we would love the luxury maybe of living that way, but we are <laughs> tied to our desks and our computers yeah. and our cars and et cetera. So we can't really burn all those carbs Yeah, and it ends up causing inflammation and high blood sugar. So to me, it makes perfect sense. And I'm really glad you've discovered that fat is a good thing. We need that good fat. So what about getting back to just how we can nourish? So we talked about food. What about our, our asana practice or our breathing practice? Yeah. So in general, and asana and breath are included, you not only want to generate ojas, which is what you can do with your food choices, right? And digesting more nutritive foods, but you want to protect your ojas right? Whatever you have, you'd like to conserve it and invest it and develop it. So when we do asana and when we do pranayama, sometimes we get kind of ambitious. Mm -hmm. And I know the trend now is to be a lot more 
aware about how our practice choices are affecting us and not just be ambitious all the time, which is great. So you want to really dial in. Do I need some circulation? Do I need some stretching? Do I need more stability instead of more reaching, reaching, reaching for more? Mm -hmm. How heated do I want my body to be? How heated should the room be? How much movement? How much stability? How much standing? How much inversion? All of that can affect whether you're kind of in the zone for your practice or whether you're spending energy that you shouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. Is it ending up feeling like, oh, I had a good workout and I feel peaceful? What's the end result? When you're exhausted, that's not a good sign. You're using too much of the deeper energy. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to pranayama, the word prana is right there, which means breath and that vital moving life force. You actually don't want to do a ton of pranayama when you're trying to protect ojas. Hmm. You just want to do enough to balance the functioning of the movement of prana, balance it, which also includes grounding it, and then leave it alone. It's like a tune-up. You're not going to get further by doing more pranayama. Hmm. Where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> you want to think about your yoga practice and your pranayama as how can I tune tune myself up? back to where I belong, back into balance. Mm. That means my body, my nervous system, my mind, my breathing. Yoga means union. We want to feel integrated and not like we've reached too far beyond ourselves. We want to feel established in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Usually that's why we get so drawn to yoga. We have that experience. But then once we get involved with yoga, we get more and more mental about it, more and more goals come into play, more and more details and hair splitting starts happening. <laughs> and we can lose the impetus for coming to it with this more this sense of humility, discovery, surrender, and like, oh my gosh, this feels good. Mm -hmm. When we get back into using that as our measuring stick, oh my gosh, this feels good. Instead of look at the cool thing that I did today yeah. that I, you know, that I was reaching for the last couple of months and I finally did it, <laughs> you know, some challenge is okay, but we really need to keep our eye on, is this tuning me up in a good way? You know, is it setting everything back into balance? Because the whole purpose of Ayurveda anyway, is to create a balanced mind body to have that stable immunity so we can reach for our family goals, our money-making goals, serving the way we feel we should be serving, and also reaching toward enlightenment or liberation. So if we think of our yoga practice the same way, what is the ultimate purpose that my practice you know, should serve? Is it me finally getting into this crazy pose so that I can get my Instagram shots? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or is it so that I can really feel more confident and more comfortable being humble and curious about life and more have more energy for the things that really matter mm -hmm. and so that's finding that balance and it is going to be different for each person some people need to strive a little more when you're younger and muscular and and you need to learn that self-discipline of you know how far can I push my body and find that edge and build my strength and all that but maybe someone like me postmenopausal now I'm proud to say, <laughs> maybe I need more stability, more keeping all my emotions very fluid, you know, yeah. and staying very comfortable in my body, keeping on finding ways to move forward into this new phase of life. So if we just keep looking for that balance, is this tuning me up so that I can be comfortable pursuing my goals of life, then I think that's the best indication. Hmm. Too much pranayama is not a good thing. You can can overdo it pretty easily. So focusing on pranayama, you have to really know why am I doing that? Yeah. What am I trying to serve here? Yeah, yeah. It's funny, as you're talking about this, I'm just thinking of, I think it was Friday. Yeah, I was preparing for this interview and just reading different stories and things like that about Ojas. And that morning I had gotten up and decided to read some news on my laptop and I got sucked into some really disturbing, well-researched articles about sexual harassment. And mm. I, it kind of led me to another article that was even worse. And it led me to another article. And I just, all of a sudden, I was kind of like, whoa, overload. And I felt sick for the next yeah. 30 minutes. And so I thought, okay, 
I need to kind of burn this off because that can be helpful for me. So I went to the gym and I like ran on the treadmill and I lifted really, really heavy weights to try to like feel strong, you know, <laughs> and I went home and I just still felt awful. I mean, I felt, it feels to me now like it was sort of like a pitta imbalance. Like I just felt this just in the pit of my stomach, like sick to my stomach, my heart hurt. Um, I couldn't focus. And then I was, I was researching this interview and it was such a nice reminder of like, okay, you know what, you, you know how to nourish yourself. What would be the most nourishing thing to do right now? I had to go pick up my daughter and like, you know, 20 minutes later and I just sat down and I just did a 10 minute meditation. I just sat and there was no goal to the meditation. And there was no, I wasn't super strict about the meditation. I just sat mm. quietly for 10 minutes and I, it finally dissipated. I felt so much better. And yeah, to me, that was, it's such a nice reminder during the holidays when things get so busy and you just, you get hung up on, for me, I get hung up on weird details during the holidays. Like, <laughs> did I remember yeah. every niece's present? Did I, you know, whatever it is. Just remember yeah. like five or 10 minutes of something that's going to make you feel grounded and nourished can be helpful. Which is always just your own presence, right? Mm. It's always just feeling your own presence in your own self and feeling the timelessness of that and the source of that. And so whenever we start feeling compulsion, whether it's ticking everything off the list or getting every detail right or remembering every niece, or when you feel compelled to read the next article, you know, is actually introducing another drop of poison into your mind for mm -hmm. the day. That's when we know we are subjecting our ojas to being lost because we start getting outside ourselves. You know, we, we actually abandon ourselves, the feeling of compulsion actually takes you right outside of yourself. Mm. And, the, and the definition of health is to be established in yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you can know as soon as you start feeling that compelling, or we also use the word perverting because it perverts your energy when you're feeling that kind of right. can't stop driven. So, you know, that's subjecting your ojas to vulnerability and so beautiful that just stopping, just stopping and just taking some breaths, feeling your weight on the ground and feeling your own presence and just coming back to your body is very conserving <laughs> for your ojas. And it also feels better than just about anything else you can do. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because... I'm not a person that feels like, oh, you know, I, sh I don't want to watch the news. It's toxic. I want to do a news fast, those kinds of things. I feel so I don't want this story to be misconstrued. I, I think it, it's important to be really aware of what's going on. But what I what I realized is that this is an issue that I want to be active in the world about. And I haven't quite figured out how yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what drove me to like keep reading article after article. And I drove myself to the point where I was completely ineffective at even considering what I would do to help try to fix the problem. Right. You know, and that's just like an interesting part of it to me is like we get, when we get compulsive, we think that if we just do more, we'll fix whatever problem we're trying to fix or we'll, we'll get we do. more done or, you know, we just, we drive ourselves past the point of logic and we're actually less effective. We're also really trained to do that, you know, and one more hour or one more article or one more effort. And it's not that we don't want to make the effort or read the next article. It's that you want to do it with your balance in mind. Right. You, know, you, you can still do it. You can schedule that time tomorrow or you can say, you know, I'm really feeling that it, it's my calling. It's my dharma to get involved in this issue. And I'm really feeling my heartstrings on this. But then you can't just cast everything off. Right. <laughs> right. Right. There was no, pro I gave, I gave myself no processing time. Right. Of just like taking yeah, it the in. Digestion again, mm -hmm. Di actually thoughts and emotions and experiences, not just food. They all have to be digest. Mm -hmm. They have to be digested. And, and that's true with information. It's true with what happens in a relationship and conversation and things that go on. It's true again, within a company, it's true within an ecosystem, when new stuff is introduced, 
And what it sounds like happened for you is you kind of force fed yourself an overly large meal. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then there's nothing to do but like, oh, I got to mm-hmm. like somehow get through this. And then you go through all these symptoms until you're able to finally digest it. So you can still ingest whatever you need to ingest. It's just in the amount and with the right support so that you can digest it and it just doesn't run you over. Right. Right. Yeah. Like the holidays, like we love a lot about the holidays, but I always have that conflicted feeling of I'm kind of excited about it, but I'm also really trepidatious because the inner expectations, the family expectations, the finances, the driving, the, you know, the travel that there's just so many aspects to it. Mm -hmm. And it all relates back to primal, you know, family relationships and childhood memories and then the sensory things that we're hoping for like the snow or whatever and it's like wow it's too much it's already too much to digest and it's only in my head at this point (laughs) right right (laughs) so true oh my gosh it's so true it's so true well I think this gives us a lot to think about and is really really helpful do you feel like there's anything you want that we that I missed in terms of asking you about Ojas there's one thing that you might want me to say. I'll, I'll just give this explanation. You can add it in. One way I like to think about OGIS, we talked about the money in the bank thing, but in just the regular laws of physics, I mean, Ayurveda is just a language for looking at how life really works. It's not really that abstract or culturally specific to India or any particular time and place. It just really gives us a format or a vantage point for understanding how life normal life processes work in any entity and physics does that right Mm. and in physics we have the two laws of thermodynamics the law of conservation and the law of entropy and in the law of conservation it said that energy right there's a certain amount of energy in any system in a closed system and that it doesn't change it doesn't accumulate or deplete So when we look at our life as a system, we can look at where, you know, where am I putting my energy? So when we get compulsion or over overdoing it, we know that we're putting our energy not in a great place. And in chemistry, it's said that there are two different forms of energy or types of energy. One is kinetic Mm -hmm. energy in motion, and that's like prana. And the other is potential, right? It's the Mm. energy that's ready to be used. So we can always see the same thing in terms of quote unquote modern modern scientific laws. I love that. I I really do love how you explain Ayurveda and how you think about things. It's it's unlike anyone I've ever spoken to before about it. Hopefully that's a good thing. No, it is. It's it is it is. It is. It's honestly what people don't always understand about me because I've spent so much time in India and I lived in an ashram forever and all that is that I didn't choose Ayurveda because it comes from India. I was drawn to India and eventually Ayurveda because I really see the the language of how just reality is portrayed. You know, it's, Hmm. I'm interested in life. I'm not interested in just Indian stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. And that that approach has always resonated with you. Thank you. So... Let's talk about, you have this, you wrote a little essay that I read on your website about how you have a word for at the beginning of each year that kind of guides your year. And I, on my old blog that is now just gone, it's in the ether somewhere, years ago, I wrote a very similar blog post. And at that time, my word for the year was faith. Yeah, I haven't figured out what my word for 2018 is yet, but I think you have. What is, what's your word? Yeah, my word for 2018 is fullness. Mm. In Sanskrit, that word is purna, which also means perfect. But it means perfect in the sense of fullness, like the full moon. But for me, what it what it reminds me to continually do is to experience my own fullness, to honor choices that have me experiencing fullness of energy, for instance, to not speak in a way that leaks my energy, to not choose activities that spill it or not to spin it 
too much, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> generate excess excitement or attention or whatever, but to really treat my body as a vessel for this precious life energy and a, a vessel sits on a nice solid base, right? The base of the vessel is weighted and then it can be filled with something. And I want to treat my life and my body in a way that it's a vessel for holding that porna, that fullness. And that really gives me a lot of peace and contentment and confidence and allows me to slow down and be very present and feel very grateful just for you know, the experience of, of being alive, of being here mm-hmm. another day. Mm-hmm. So that's my word. That's going to be my word for 2018. Fullness, porna. I like it. It's beautiful. And it also kind of encapsulates the idea that sometimes when life feels really busy, it can feel overwhelming. But for me, if I just flip it around and I, I say it's, I have a, it's busy, but it's very full, you know, it's like a positive way to look at all yes. that's coming at you. It's just like, Oh, I it's like very that full, you know, it's full. It's, it's full abundance. Of, yeah, it's full. <laughs> exactly. I'm grateful for that. I wouldn't want the opposite. So, you know, yeah, I got to embrace it all. Yeah, I think you can have the stillness and stability at the same time that you have the abundance. Mm-hmm. You can, it, they're not opposite, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? The abundance is happening within the stability. So if as long as you have that stable vessel, you can have as much as you want in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the uh, image for it too. That's helpful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Nika. I mean, as I said before, I just love... I love listening to you and the way you think about things. And I know it's going to be really inspiring and helpful for people to get through this holiday season, feeling their fullness, just feeling good. I hope so. And it's always such a joy to talk with you. I always love spending time with you. I can hear the Thanks as always for listening. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll put links to Nika's energy assessment at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 81. If you are enjoying the podcast, uh, you can give me a great holiday gift by leaving a five-star review and rating, and I will just appreciate it so much. It'll, It'll warm me like a little warm blanket, like, and I'll just, I'll feel very huga. I think that's how you're supposed to use the word. If there are any uh, Danish people out there who want to correct me, please feel free. You can follow me on Instagram at Andrea Ferretti. And with that, until next week, enjoy your practice. That we only try on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, only today, on Christmas Day, only today. Do we share? Why only today? Do we share? Only at Christmas. Is this some collective motion in seeking absolution? Do we think that all the presents makes up for all? Well, if you think that